welcome to the Redeemer Central podcast. Redeemer Central is a church community in Belfast seeking to practice the way of Jesus and work for the peace and good of our city. For more information, please visit RedeemerCentral.com. demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house. He had lived among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and he fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained, Hand and foot, and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs. And he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and in the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at his feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerizims asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got back into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. Jesus told him to go and say what God has done for you. And he went and told what Jesus had done for him. Because what we see Jesus do is what the Father does. And that is a really significant part of this story. I, I, I read a, a case review. So... In the context and the culture of the day, someone who possibly had a serious mental illness um, was dealt with by being cut off from their community and their family and they lived alone and they were shackled and all of that. The story is as it is. And I was thinking about what it was like these days and I read a, a heartbreaking review this week of a woman in in England, Laura Wynnum, who died at the age of 38. And she had schizophrenia, and her illness was so severe that she felt her family were going to harm her, and so she cut off all contact with her family. In 2014, she was referred to mental health services, and she chose not to take them up. She also chose not to engage with her family. And she was seen on October 17 by the police following a welfare call. 
and her family had been trying to make contact with her over these intervening years. She'd had schizophrenia for a very long time. And her family contacted mental health services and because of privacy laws, they weren't allowed to give out any information. And their father died. And in November 2017, a month after the police had seen her, her brother eventually found her address, broke into her home and she'd been dead for three years. So the feelings that happened that woman are almost unspeakable. And the reason I mention her is because we can sometimes read these stories and we don't know how to connect them to the here and now. But that is a story that happened in this country in these days. Cut off, ill, not getting services, not getting support, and dying alone, almost unspeakable. And I often think that delivering and healing comes in these days through medicine and therapy, and they are still the most common form of the grace of God and the miracle of God. And that is perhaps how I want us to think about this passage. I also want to be sensitive to the fact that there will be people in this room who have been told they're carrying demons or they need delivered of demons. And I, I, that's all for another day. Um, that's all for another day. But what I want us to take from this vignette of Jesus is that he liberates this man. He restores him to his family and to his community. And I trust that that story, that liberating story of the, of the Lord dealing with this poor man gives us hope and restoration because that is the, that is the story of God. So that's, that's where we are this morning. I read the story several times, well, a lot of times this week, and I wondered would it be good to sort of retell it to you as if I was one of the disciples because it might bring it a little bit alive. So... So stay with me and, and imagine that I'm Andrew. So I'm Andrew. I'm a fisherman. I'm a pretty simple sort of man. I make my money by catching fish. I get on with it. And suddenly I met this guy called Jesus and I decided to follow him. So I've been with him now with the guys that I now consider my brothers. And we've been following Jesus for a number of months and we've watched him heal people, we've watched him raise people from the dead, we've watched him teach of a whole new kingdom and we are mesmerized by him. We want to listen to every word he says, we want to drink it in. So for some unknown reason he decided that we were going to cross Galilee. Galilee is six miles across and Jesus had us out on the water Three days ago, our, his mum and his brothers came to see him and, uh, and wanted him to come back with them and talk to him. And he said, those aren't my mothers and brothers. The ones who want to hear of the word of God are my brothers, my mother and my brothers. We all sat scratching our heads. Who turns their mother away? Certainly not any of us, but that's what he did. We then went out fishing. He wanted us to go out fishing. We were out all night and he fell asleep because he'd been teaching, he'd been healing, he was exhausted. And he fell asleep and suddenly the wind started and the waves started. 
and we're in a tiny boat about three miles out. People die on these lakes all the time and we were petrified and we woke him and we said, Master, Master, get up, the waves, the waves, the wind, we're going, it's over. And suddenly he stands up and he puts his hand out and he says, peace, be still. And I still can't get my head around it, but the waves just started to settle and the winds calmed. And whilst me and the guys were terrified to begin with, because we thought we were facing our death, there was something in how he commanded nature that actually was as terrified. And so we just decided to lie low and continue rowing. And so he decides, we're going to go to the other side and we're going to the area called Gazarine. Who is this man that can control the wind and the waves? He's now told us to go to Gazarine. It's the land of the Gentiles. We don't belong there. It's foreign soil to us. And it's actually quite frightening. And when you go to the edge of Galilee, it's a sheer drop upwards, if you like. And there is tombs. There's a thousand men are buried in those tombs because the Roman soldiers came and pillaged and destroyed cities and the whole people, and there's a thousand dead men in those tombs. It is a frightening place. So there's much slaughter, much bloodshed. So we were still kind of getting over what we'd seen in nature on the boat, and we got to the edge, and Jesus was getting out, and we thought, uh-uh, <laughs> no, we're not getting out. We've seen enough. We don't know what's going to happen next. So we stayed in the boat and just watched. So we watched Jesus get out and suddenly this man who lives in the tombs, he appears and he comes over. He's been shackled because that's what we do. When people are, we don't understand them. They're very disturbed. They're messed up. They're lonely. They leave their family and they live amongst the tombs. He was covered in wounds. He'd been self-harming. He had damaged himself we had we knew that people like him kept escaping and we had to keep shackling them so we watched him and suddenly he knew Jesus this is a pagan country this is where we believe in lots of gods and he addressed Jesus and said you are the son of the most high God so he was fulfilling what Gabriel the angel said I am bringing the one who will save you all. So he knew exactly who he was dealing with. Jesus asked him his name and he said, Legion. Now, I don't know what Legion means to you, but to us, Legion is the word for the occupying Roman army. 6,000 soldiers. And we're frightened of the occupying army because they have wreaked death and destruction on our nation. And so when he named himself as Legion, I turned to the other guys and we thought we'd been trembling quite a lot, but oh boy, did we tremble then. And he, the demons called out and said, send us to the abyss. So in the old scrolls of the old days of hundreds of years ago, the abyss is death, destruction, the end. That's what they begged. And suddenly, they don't do that. Jesus doesn't send them into the abyss he sends them into the pigs another example of the fact that we're in gentile country because we jews we don't have pigs you might not remember that so suddenly they go into the pigs 
and a herd of pigs come pelting down the hill and throw themselves into the sea. Such an incredible act. It was like being at a theatre. Apparently you have those things these days. And so we watched as the herdsmen who had just watched their entire flock, their entire livelihood, throw themselves to their death into the sea. And we saw them running away to start telling the stories. And what we observed was the man was healed, he was restored, he was calm, and he was in his right mind. And the really interesting part of the story for us was that he wanted to stay with Jesus. Why wouldn't he? He had just been miraculously and instantly healed. He wanted to stay with Jesus, but Jesus wanted him back to his family, to his community, to be completely restored to those who loved him. And what was really, really got to us was that the Gazarenes, they would have preferred to continue to live with men in shackles in the tombs than to think what would life be like if this man, this man got hold of us and transformed us. And so I want you to think about this guy. We can't get our heads around him. We know he is the son of the most high God. We know that he now commands nature and he heals and restores instantly. And if you don't know this man, if you don't have daily connection with this man, oh boy, are you missing out. Oh boy, are you missing out. We trembled in awe, fear, and then wonder. And that is who this man is. He liberates and frees and restores. And that is his invitation to me and to you right now. Stephanie's back. So if we think about the layers of this story, we can think of it very simply as it's a story of healing, of good and evil. We can keep it quite simple and quite straightforward, and many people view it that way. But I wonder, is there much, much more to this story? And much, much more to the idea of the work of the enemy. And I've been thinking about that a lot this week. And thinking about the rather reductionist view we have on good and evil. As if everything that happens to us is somehow evil. And against the design. And so I wonder if that sort of reductionist view that many of us have. To say that all the difficulties that we face have a spiritual root. It can lead to a fear and a faith theology. And that is a risky place, I believe. Emmanuel Larty writes very beautifully on deliverance and demoniac phenomena from a pastoral mindset. And I love his work. And what he's saying is that we are redeemed people living in a fallen world. And we are exposed to the harsh reality of human suffering, of illness devastation and of death and that is our lived reality and you don't need me to tell you that we're walking that every day but where the hope in the story is is that we are not walking alone that the Lord is with us and so yesterday morning I was 
with Stephen, my husband, who was in Newry. Just checking my time. Uh -huh. So I was thinking about this idea of we keep it quite simple, that it's good and evil, and that we just need to address everything in one mindset. And um, I like on a Saturday morning before I speak to have three or four hours just to read and think and kind of muse. And so I was with Steve at a conference he was speaking at, and we were in the Canal Court Hotel in Newry. How glamorous. I love Newry, by the way, so don't go on about it. So anyway, I went down. I said, Steve, you go to the conference. I'm going to sit and just I'm thinking and I'm waiting and I'm going to talk to God. And so I was sitting in the lobby thinking about this idea, right, reading some great stuff about a pastoral view of the work of the enemy in the world and how we might understand it. And um, I had my laptop out and a coffee and a young man came in and, and sat down at the table with me. And it was very obvious, it was about 11, 10 o'clock in the morning, and it was very obvious that he was coming down after a large night out. He was shaking, he was swigging Lucasade into himself, and uh, he was trying to get his phone charged in the hotel lobby. And so, I love that St. Teresa of Aquila idea that every person is a question from the Lord that the Lord is posing to you. And I thought of that when I looked at him. And I thought, so I can either sit here and do all my reading, or I can engage this guy in some kind of conversation. So that's always going to win for me. So I, I wondered. So I got chatting to him. We spent two hours talking to each other. And he very graciously and kindly shared his story with me. And he was, he's 21. He's trying to get himself on the straight and narrow. He's going to be a dad in a few months' time. At the age of six, he started to joyride in his estate. By the age of 12, he had his first time in prison. He spent between the ages of 12 and 18 in Hyde Bank for joyriding offences. Um, we talked on and he said that, I said, what about your family? He said, I, I, my dad's not involved, he's dead. And my mum doesn't have anything more to do with me. I, I don't have them because of what I've put them through. We talked on about how he wanted to get himself together and what he could do. And he, he's, uh, he can't read or write. And we talked about SRC. And then he told me I can't go back there. I'm not allowed back there. And he told me why he wasn't allowed back there, which I understood. And... Um, we talked about how he's brilliant at mechanicing and he'd learned in Hyde Bank. And so we talked for two hours. He was a delight to talk to. Coming down after a large night out and graciously talking to me about his life. And um, after about an hour, I said to him, what's your name? And he looked really, it was the first time he looked uncomfortable. And I said, sorry. I should have told you, I'm called Stephanie, and I'm really enjoying talking to you. And so he said, well, I'm called Kieran, and you're a good one for an old lady. So <laughs> he made my day. So Kieran and I spent a couple of hours. Now, I'm not naive enough to think that, you know, his life has transformed because we talked for two hours. This isn't about me. But... He left heading to get a, an application for 
lorry driving because he can make money there. And obviously he's good at cars. He's been running them since he was six years old. So we talked about that and his, his girlfriend and their relationship and a lot of stuff. The point, the question I think the Lord was posing to me was, is it as simple as good and evil? No, it's not. What world does a six-year-old have that they're out joyriding? What world where a mum has had to cut her kid off because she just can't do it anymore? What world is it where a 21-year-old can't read or write and how on earth does he get himself on the straight and narrow? Who's there? And so I put my laptop down. I had a beautiful conversation with him and it reminded me that we are mysteriously and wonderfully made and our call is to address all of the work of the enemy in this world, all of the injustices, all of the lack of education, all of the communities that are left being brutalized by community leaders. There is so much that is wrong in this world that we as the people of God can respond to in small ways and in big ways. And that is perhaps why I would like us to move away from this reductionist idea because first of all, it abdicates personal responsibility and it also places blame in the wrong places, perhaps family, society or demons. Perhaps we are looking for evil in the wrong places and we're missing it where it actually matters, in my own heart and mind and in yours. Maybe the sinful power structures of this world are where the enemy is really at work. And perhaps we need to understand the pathology and evil in psychological, societal and spiritual realms, as well as all the collusions that exist between them. And so, Redeemer, this morning as I... I present to you this story, I want to remind us that as followers of Jesus, the call is to work to release people from ungodly power structures, to perhaps offer health care where there has been none. The leprosy mission that I talked about last two weeks ago is a fine example. Jesus reigns over the powers that destroy human life, every last one of them. Trauma, people living unsheltered, people living naked, the socio and economic issues that face our society and around the world, climate change. And where are we seeing the occupying armies that brutalize our communities? And where are we offering the grace, the mercy and the welcome of the Lord? And that is where I want to end this morning. I want to, just behind you, it'll come up, Psalms 65, verse 7. Jesus and who he was was prophesied back then, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. And as we come to a close and we come to the table, I suppose the invitation again is that we are called to liberate others through the love of Jesus. We have seen example after example of how Jesus liberated others through love, and that is the call on us. 
Talmidim is the word for the process of becoming a rabbi. And just behind you will come up the advice of how you get there. You be with your rabbi. You become like your rabbi. And then you do what your rabbi does. And they summed it up very beautifully in those teachings for young Jewish men where they said, spend your days having the dust of your rabbi on your feet. In other words, do as your rabbi does. And so my invitation and, and challenge perhaps to you this morning is to think, where do I see injustice? Where do I see people shackled? Where do I see the broken, the lonely, the vulnerable? Those who have been labeled in a way, where are those people? And let us do the work of Jesus. Let us follow the rabbi and do as he does. As the band comes, I'd like us to come to the table for communion. So as we come and worship, let's consider that Jesus invites us to do as he did, to liberate others because we have been liberated. And that if that is the call in our lives, then this week, how do we walk out that call? How do we bring his hope, his restoration and his liberation to all of those around us in small ways and big ways. So let's stand and let's worship. How we've been doing communion here, if you haven't been here for a while, is that as we sing, you come forward and you're served the bread and the wine. I'm very aware that we've touched on painful subjects this morning mental health, mental illness, suffering, loss, death. And I want to be sensitive to that and encourage you that if you are reminded that you are not on your own, then we would be honored to pray with you and bless you. I want to just read the, these verses that Ian so beautifully read over us at the beginning. Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction and out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and many will fear, and many will put their trust in the Lord. Father, we thank you that you are around us, that you are with us and we are never alone. We thank you that you are the one who liberates and restores and heals and frees us. And we give you yet again our yes as individuals, as families and as this community. And we say, come and have your way amongst us. And we pray all of this and we trust all of this in the beautiful, precious, life-giving name of Jesus. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Go in love. See you next week.